as we start 2019, I like to do one thing before we, uh, I like to do one thing before um, we get into some sermon series, and that is to kind of cast a one sermon vision for 2000 for each year. And for 2019, um, the vision is seeking the face of God. But before I do that, I want to give you a celebration of 2018. So listen to this. It's been a great year for Northwest in 2018. We sat down. um, We actually, one of the days in which we had the snow, we had the staff all get on their phones and had a meeting on our phone. Can you believe that? We had a meeting on our phone. Everybody was on the phone. We could see everyone, and we had a meeting But here's what we came up with. We baptized 34 people this year. We launched a brand new website, um, which has been influential in, in, in people coming to the church. We began having family meals once a quarter. Northwest 101 membership class was reestablished. We produced our transition team document and our new bylaws this year and voted those in. We had another tremendous year in community advance, reaching into our community and schools, increasing our volunteer base in that ministry, 14 salvations in the spring, 17 in the fall. We had a lot of children's ministry workers step up in the gap as we were in the process of hiring our new children's director. I'm going to name a few of them. I might miss some, but Lance Newsman, who taught Wednesday nights, Katie Sutton, Vicki Sears, Christy Gully, and Jordan Lindley. In that, in the, the, stood in the gap for our children's ministry. We launched Children's Church. We launched our Connect team, which includes our greeting ministry, our Welcome Center staff, and our Sunday school connectors. What a great job that they are doing all over the campus. We celebrated our 50 years of Beauty for Ashes. We made budget for the first time in seven years. Praise God. I'm not done. We still got more. We put a new sign outside to represent what God is doing inside of our church. We had a a new fellowship team, which worked diligently to create a fellowship atmosphere and and service in our church. We had uh, five people go on mission to Chiapas. We had a successful champs camp with dozens of salvations. We had a successful parenting forum last year in January. We went to uh, on a youth mission trip to Edmonton this year. We work We had a huge workday in the fall, and we had over 68 items completed on that workday where we had many, many people here on campus working and serving. We designed a new envelope for our offering. The baptistry was fixed. We began the renewal project and approve that for our church to to update and and much needed maintenance and repair was scheduled and begun to plan that out for 2019. We preached through 2 Timothy. We Reminders for the Gospel-Centered Christian. We did a series on My Story, Christ and Me, in which we shared our testimonies together. And we did a sermon series on renewal leading up to Christmas 2019. We also uh, hired a new pastor which came to your church. So it was full of great things. Let's praise God for what He did in 2018. Amen. Amen. 
What a great job. Praise God. Glory to him in the highest. So as we move into the new year, I've got one pervading thought on the, on the front of my mind as I've been praying about what the Lord wants us to do and as we move forward together and what God has called his church to be and what he is calling us to do. And I keep coming back to 2 Chronicles 7.14. And, and this passage is, is God's reply to Solomon as Solomon, after the dedication of the temple, cries out to God to fill the temple, but not only just fill the temple, but to hear the prayers of God's people, to forgive the sin, and to offer grace to, to God's people who sometimes forget the greatness and the majesty and the glory of our great God. So turn with me to 2 Chronicles, and we're going to start in chapter 7, verse 11. If you stand with me in the reading of God's Word as you turn there, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, you may have a hard time finding that. It is buried in the, within the Old Testament. is on page 364 in the Bible in front of you. If you want to get there, you can. It's probably easiest to just do it on the app sometimes. You can just pick out Second Chronicles. But it is in, in the Old Testament prior to the Psalms. Second Chronicles 7.11 is where we'll start. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he's successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Let's pray. You can be seated while we pray. Father, we do ask that as we open your word and as you give us a vision for 2019, that we would be a people that humble ourselves, that pray and seek the face of God. Father, there is so many distractions and so many things among us that take away our focus from the Lord God Almighty. We ask, Father, that we would focus our hearts and our minds upon your truth, upon your son, what he's done for us, and about what you want us to do. And Father, speak to us this morning through your word and through your spirit. Allow us to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
There was a great phenomenon before the smartphone, before the days of the laptop, and even before the days of the big screen television. Uh, they would make these rather peculiar items uh, out of paper. They would put these pieces of paper together and they, they would bind them and they were called books. For some of you young people, you may not know what that is. Uh, they, they might be asking themselves a question. You mean you didn't read on your Kindle or your iPad or your iPhone? No, you actually read in a book that was made out of paper. That's what I grew up with. And they would give some books to children to occupy their time rather than the iPad or something else. And one of these books in the late 80s, early 90s, only had pictures on it. It was like the Instagram of its time. It was called Where's Waldo? Some of you guys may know this. The book was filled with pictures and pages of a bunch of people and little people and little things. In the midst of these pages, you're trying to find this guy with a comb over. He has some round shaped glasses, some Harry Potter glasses before Harry Potter was in existence. He had a white and striped shirt and a matching hat, and he had a cane. There he is. There he is on the screen. Sometimes he had a cane, and you're wondering why he has a cane at younger age, but he just does. That's just the way he was presented to the people. And sometimes it would take hours moving through these books. As, as a parent um, now, I... I I know why uh, these were such good sellers. Two hours of peace and quiet while the kids look for Waldo, right? Doing the parenting forum. You just give them the Waldo book. No, just kidding. But you had to really seek him out. Can you find Waldo in there? You might be able to. I, I got a picture with him that you might be able to find him in there. Can you see him? Can you find him? You can, right? But just think if it was filled with a whole page, I zoomed in so you could see where he is. It's not easy to find. MIT actually did a study on how people seek and find Waldo, eliminating all the other distractions. The article gives a conclusion to their findings. It says, at any given moment, the world bombards the senses with more information that the brain can process. And for more than a century, scientists and psychologists have debated how the brain filters out distractions and focuses attention on the things that matter. Using the visual system as a model, Professor Robert Desmone, director of McGovern Institute of Brain Research at MIT, and his former colleagues at the National Institute of Health show that the neurons synchronize their signals to command attention like a chorus rising above the din of noising chatter in a crowded room. That's what the MIT suggests. And guess what? That is my prayer for our church, that we as a church would synchronize our focus upon seeking the face of God, that we would be like a chorus rising above the din of noisy chatter in a crowded room. Because when you look at our world today, there's a lot of noisy chatter. 
When you look at what our young people look at on social media and different avenues, television and movies and different things, there is a din of noisy chatter. And when the church synchronizes its focus upon seeking the face of God, just imagine what God will do in his church. My prayer is that when we turn each page of our life, when we see all the distractions, all the chaos, that our focus turns to the one who has set us free and given us life. Colossians 3.1 says this, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Amen? Seeking the face of God as one body. When we look at this passage in 2 Chronicles, there is a great big context. And so I don't want to just jump into the verse without giving you the context of where we are and what God is doing in the midst of this time period in 2 Chronicles. In the passage of 2 Chronicles, it's so interesting because King David is Solomon's father. We know a little bit about King David, the man after God's own heart. And we actually preached on Psalm 51. He messed up big, but yet repented and asked God for, for, for forgiveness and healing in his own life when he sinned uh, with Bathsheba and, and murdering um, Uriah the Hittite. And David actually wants to build the temple. He prays to God to, to, to build God's temple. But because of so much bloodshed and war, God wants Solomon to build the temple. David's son. So what does David do at the end of his life? It's very interesting to read, and sometime we will preach through that, but I encourage you to read it. At the end of First Chronicles, David does something in which sets Solomon up to build the temple that I think is, is, is um, important for us as parents to understand how to set your child up to follow the ways of God. But one of the ways is before he crowns him as king, David begins raising the money to build the temple. And he starts with himself. He actually gives of his own wealth before he begins raising the money and calling the people to give to build God's temple. And this is what he does. He gives 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver. Now, we have to understand a talent was about 75 pounds. You can imagine them rolling those things down the uh, offering and the offering plates, right? The deacon's trying to hold that thing, right? That, that was a lot of money. But each talent was about 10 years wages for the average worker. David gave 3K of gold and 7K of silver. In today's terms, that's $5 billion. 
Some scholars say that this was probably David's entire personal treasury. In other words, he didn't give out of his treasuries. He gave the whole treasury to the work of the Lord. So after David gives everything, he anoints Solomon as king, and then David passes away. The Lord comes to Solomon. We're in 2 Chronicles now. We move to 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And, and he comes to Solomon and, and he asks Solomon, what shall I give to you? And Solomon says, wisdom and knowledge to lead your people. That's what I need. And the Lord not only gives him wisdom and knowledge, but all the wealth and all the possessions as well because he asks for wisdom and knowledge. And Solomon's first task is to build the temple. And he builds this magnificent temple in 20 years. It takes him 20 years to build God's temple. And at the dedication of the temple, Solomon gathers all the people of Israel in the assembly and he gets on his hands and knees and he looks towards the heavens and he puts his hands out. And he prays. This is Second Corinthians, Second um, Chronicles six. And he prays, and he proclaims the greatness of God, and he pleads for grace for God's people. He asks for God to hear the prayers of the people, and when he hears the prayers, to forgive them. He knows that the people will sin. And he asked God when the people are repentant and they've suffered defeat from their enemies, have grace and forgive them. And then he says, when there's no rain because of sin, if they repent and turn from their sin, forgive their sin, teach them the way they should walk and give them rain. If there's famine and pestilence and mildew or locusts or caterpillars, hear from heaven and forgive them that they may fear you and walk in your ways. If your people go to battle against their enemies and they pray to you, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you and are carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn from their heart in their land in which they have been carried away, saying we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their mind, with all their heart, in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and prayed towards their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. You can see that Solomon at the beginning of his life is following God. His prayer in front, in the midst of the assembly of the people of Israel is, Lord, we know that we will sin. Hear us when we call and forgive us our sins. And this is God's answer. Chapter 7, God responds to Solomon's prayer. 
And this is how he responds at the beginning. Look at 7 verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. What a moment in time. Solomon. Lord, hear us, and God answers, fills the temple. Then we get to verse 11. The Lord comes again. The Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord And in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. I want to focus first of all on verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. I want to ask this question, why would God do that? Why would God withhold rain or command locusts or devour the land or send pestilence amongst his people? I think this is our first point this morning. God is a righteous and holy God. God is a righteous God. He is holy. I think that we must understand that our sin is a big deal in the presence of a holy God. You can imagine when God came down, the fire comes down, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What do the people do? They bow down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worship. There's a healthy fear of God from God's people. And that's when we encounter the presence of God. There is a healthy fear of God. You see, God must punish sin as the righteous judge. We see it throughout Scripture. Remember Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the garden God destroys the face of the earth through the flood in the days of Noah. Serpents are sent into the tents of God's people who are wandering around in the desert. 
And yet, in the midst of his judgment, in the midst of his holiness and his righteousness, he shows his grace. What does he do for Adam and Eve? He provides a skin, a sacrifice, clothing for them, a precursor to the sacrifice of Christ, the blood covering for their sin, for Noah and mankind. He provides the ark, the great salvation for Noah and his family, a shadow of which will come as Christ, the ark of salvation to whoever puts their faith and trust in Christ. God also provides the bronze serpent in which Moses lifts up and those who look upon it are healed as a picture of those who look upon the cross of Christ and find healing and forgiveness of their sin in the midst of God's righteousness and judgment. He shows his grace. This is why the cross is so beautiful. Because at the cross, the wrath of God is satisfied. Christ paid for your sin in the midst of a holy God. It is at the cross where the judgment of God and the grace of God intersect. God must punish sin, and he does throw so through the righteous lamb of God who was slain for us. Jesus in my place. And we see the righteousness of God and we see the grace of God here in this passage. And that's why we love looking at this passage in verse 14. Because God takes ownership of his people who are called by his name. Because he is glorified not only in his righteousness, but also in his grace. And so he is justified in bringing famine, in bringing no rain, in bringing pestilence. But is he also does so to show his grace. That's why Jesus is so beautiful. Because we are sinners destined to be separated from a holy and righteous God, and yet God sent his son to die on the cross for us. And so what does he say in his grace in verse 14 here? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear for heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. I think there's a principle in this, this verse in which we have to understand for our life. You see, God desires for his people to call out to him in prayer. This is our second point this morning. God desires for his people to call out to him in prayer. The condition of God's blessing poured out to Israel here are some principles that we must understand. God's desire is for people 
to humble themselves. This is recognizing our need for God. We show this in a type of humility that does not trust in ourselves, but in recognizing our need for a holy and righteous God. And we do this oftentimes through prayer. Let me ask you this question. How convenient is prayer, right? Or how inconvenient is prayer? I mean, really, if I'm in need of money, I could be working, right? Instead of praying. If I'm sick, I could be really going to figure out more ways to to find a cure and and busy myself with, with figuring these things out instead of spending time in prayer. If I'm alone, I could go and be with people, right? And have fellowship with them rather than spending time with the Lord. You see, God desires for his people to trust him by praying and exercising our faith. I battle, battle with this every week. I've got 10 things to do on my list. I've got a million things to do on my list. And I can either take charge and go, all right, let's go list by list item. And I'm just going to go one after the next and going to knock it out. Or I can sit in the presence of God. Pray about these things and trust them to the Lord who desires to give good gifts to his children. I, I oftentimes think about that. We, we, we get ourselves into this, this trouble, and, and we, we often find ourselves trying to dig out of the hole instead of stopping, resting, saying, I'm in the hole. I dug that hole for myself. Now I need to ask the God Almighty from heaven and earth for his grace in my life. My prayer is that we as a church would be a people that not only fear God, that worship him greatly, but that we show humility, not only with one another, but in our life as a prayer warrior as someone who prays rather than just does pray without ceasing is what the scripture tells us verse 14 if my people who are called my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is our third point this morning. God desires for his people to seek his face. In the Hebrew, seek my face is is figurative for seeking God's presence. Seeking God to be near. Seeking God to lead Seeking the presence, the face of God, knowing him intimately. You see, I think that we 
as a people of God, must seek God himself. We must desire God himself. You see, when we think about seeking God, sometimes we think about or have this picture of this to-do list. We seek the things of God or we place on our New Year's resolutions. I'm going to read the, the word of God every day. I'm going to pray five times a day. I'm going to share it with 10 people a day. And we have this list and we equate that with seeking God. And really what God has called us to do is surrender to him, allow him to change our hearts by focusing our hearts and minds upon Christ and the gospel of grace. You see, there's a big difference and there's beauty in the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Let me explain for a minute. Jeremiah 31, 31 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each other saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their sin and I will remember their sin no more. I, I look at that verse 34 and I, I see it. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each other saying, Know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. And then you get into Ezekiel 36 and he gives more clarity to this. And he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and you will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my commands. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Ezekiel 36, 26 gives even more clarity to this. There's a difference between the old and the new covenant because Christ has come. God has come down. And when we put our faith in Christ, we are born again, and God gives us the desire to follow him. See, there's a difference of just doing more to seek God rather than surrendering to this great God and allowing him to change our hearts and our desires to align ourselves with his spirit. The New Testament says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And that's what I think we ought to do when we are seeking the face of God. Look to the cross of Christ and allow the Spirit of God to transform your heart and your mind. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, and we all with unveiled face, that's us because we have 
Christ has come, the great mediator between man and God. Behold, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. I'm sorry, let me restart. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God is transforming our hearts and our minds when we are led by the Spirit of God Almighty. And so all of this Old Testament relating to the New Testament, how do you do this and how, how do you see this? We, we, we see the same God in the Old Testament as we do in the New Testament. He doesn't change, but Christ has come. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, do you not know that you are God's temple and the God's spirit dwells in you. So when we're talking about the fire of God, the fire from heaven coming down after Solomon has reached out his hands and said, Lord, forgive us, give us grace, offer us grace. God's spirit pours down and fills the temple. Does God not want to do that in the life of his church? Of course he does. Through his people who are the temple of the Holy Spirit. How much more should we humble ourselves and ask for the grace of God in our life on a daily basis? You see, when we are seeking the face of God, when we are led by the Spirit of God, our desires will change. We will turn from our wicked ways. We will lay down our sin at the foot of the cross and let God lead us. See, God's desire is for his people to recognize who he is, to humble themselves, to call out to him in prayer, to seek his face, turning from their sin. The last point is thus. After we have humbled ourselves and prayed and seeked his face and turned from our wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land and we have to understand that this is the fourth point. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is a gracious God. You see, the conditional promise to Israel is that God will hear the prayer of his people, but not only hear their prayer, but he will forgive their sin when they dedicated the temple the sacrifices being done at the temple, they offered 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep offered at the temple. It's a picture of the ultimate Lamb of God who would be slain for the sins of the world. It is a forgiveness of sin in which God will give because of His grace. Not a result of our works, but because of His substitutionary atonement for sin, His grace is Christ coming to die on the cross for us. God says, I will not only forgive their sin, but heal their land. The promises to Israel, specifically to Solomon, about Israel. But the principle can be applied to God's people today who are the church. 
You see, the land represents a land flowing of milk and honey, the blessings of God. And we can say that when God's people humble themselves, pray and seek the face of God and repent, then God will hear their prayer and do a mighty work in his church however he pleases. The Spirit of God will come and fill the temple of God, His people, and empower them to do the work that He has called them to do. You see, the land here, and we read in Solomon's prayer, has been broken because of sin. We see it time and time again in the lives of people, their marriages, their relationships, their finances, their jobs. They're broken as a result of sin. God desires to restore that which is broken. He offers grace. But we must humble ourselves, receive the gift of God that he has given us, which is Christ, and allow the blessings of God to flow through our life. Psalm 1611 says this, I'll close with this. You have known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Seeking the face of God. Is that your heart's desire? I pray that it is. And if it's not your heart's desire, I pray that the Lord humbles you until it is your heart's desire. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and the truths that are in there. Father, in a world in which we have so many distractions, so many different things going on, help us to seek your face. Help us to cry out to you in prayer. Father, we know at the end of Solomon's life, he got so distracted by all his material possessions that he forgot. Help us to not forget the greatness of our God. Help us to not forget when he speaks to us. Help us to not forget that he fills our life with the Holy Spirit. Help us to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Father, as individuals and as the church, the body of Christ, we pray, Father, that we would be one chorus focused upon seeking your face. Father, that we can enjoy the blessings that you've bestowed upon us. That we would see joy in your presence. That all that we would desire is you and you alone. 
For you are gracious in sending your son to die on the cross to give us life. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not received the grace of God by believing and trusting in Christ, we believe, we ask that you would speak to them through your spirit this morning. Jesus' name.